You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can go on your smartphone. It's a Old Testament book right after Genesis, and we have Bibles in the back in case you want to grab one on um, your way out. It's our gift to us. We'd love to connect with you, and not only connect with you, but have you connect with Jesus in this moment, and we know when we go to God's Word, it speaks of Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament, every single word. It's our final authority, and I'm excited to continue our study through the book of Exodus as we find our place in Exodus chapter 16 in a series we're calling God Redeems. Aren't you glad that God redeems. Uh, There are broken, hard things in this world, but he is able to give his uh, craft, his power and miracles inside of us, redeem us, restore us, bring things that we did not think, but he could do more than we can ask or imagine. And we see his glory through his word as he interacts with real people like you and me, different context, different date, obviously. It's a few thousand years ago with the nation of Israel. And in this section of the book, it deals with God testing and leading his people. And we've been sort of talking about that as a church, how God tests us and leads us as well, because, well, we all have a wilderness journey. We're on this journey of faith, how God draws us from darkness into light, and he has special and unique ways that cause us to trust him. Part of that special and unique way to be dependent on him is actually the wilderness to rely on him. It's a good thing, and it's good for our soul. It's against our flesh, but it's good for our soul. And so we need to continually be relying on him, and God actually allows trials in our lives, believe it or not, to test us at times, to lead us at other times, so that we would know that he is God and we are not. One commentator, Tony Murda, uh, he said, God trains us, disciplines us, and sanctifies us in Wilderness University. Another commentary, Philip uh, Riken, he says, going through wilderness was not necessarily the Israel, for Israelite salvation, but it was necessary for their sanctification. It's oftentimes when God brings us through a trial or something that is hard, we cling to him more. I don't know why we do it, but we do. We're human, we're weak, but in our weakness, he is strong because we depend on him. And this was another hard season for the Israelites in this moment, in this journey through the wilderness, but it was because God wanted to build their faith. And I hope that you realize that, that when you go through a trial or a test, or as you have breath in your lungs, even now, this is for a reason. God loves you. He's for you. He cares about you, and he wants to bring glory through you. And so we need to have this perspective for God's glory, for his name's sake. Not just everything is about me, Because it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when you are going to suffer when you go through a trial. It's going to happen. And God wants us to cling to him in every moment, continually relying on him. Or where we picked up our message last week before Jason came, sort of a New Testament example, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I pray for reliance on God. We need to be praying for for a reliant spirit, for a dependent on spirit, because it's from faith to faith that we journey in. And so in the context of this study, we're in sort of three consecutive stories of testing. I know, fun subject, right? Trials, testing, let's talk about it. It's the Bible, I love it. Here's the three tests. Test one, we talked about it. It was the bitter water found in Exodus 18, verses 22 through 27. 
right? And if you haven't checked out that message, you can go on our podcast or on our website, YouTube ch- channel. You can actually listen to that, watch that, and get caught up in our study. Tonight, we're going to be doing a message called Bread from Heaven. It's test two. All of chapter 16, 36 verses. The following test will be water from a rock. Exodus chapter 17, verses one through three. And we'll study that as we continue to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this great book of Exodus. So tonight, are y'all ready? Exodus chapter 16. Now here's the deal. We're gonna have the words on the screen. We do that for a lower third for the video. Shout out to all the people watching or on the podcast. But it is very small. Don't judge the screen. You can bring your Bible. You can grab one. I have offered you to have a Bible for free. So go to your smartphone. You can light it up if it's too dark or go to your paper Bible. So cool. Goat skin right here, baby. Mm, It's called my preaching Bible. I love this thing. You should try reading it as well. Okay. So we're going to read together. This is a long chapter, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be valuable. It's God's word. We could just read it and be blessed. So here we go. Exodus chapter 16. However you want to read it, or if you just want to close your eyes and hear it, that's fine by me. Verse 1. They, speaking of the people of Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on, uh, and on the 15th day of the second month, remember this is history, it's accurate, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. At this time, this would have been at least, probably around scholars say 2 million people. Text says 600,000 men plus women and children. So they're grumbling. And the people of Israel said to them, Moses and Aaron, these leaders... Would that, uh, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's good to say. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven. That's going to be our message title tonight. Bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, verse 8, or verse 6, at evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then, verse 9, Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Notice how many times it says that too. That's just a little scary when we think about how much we grumble. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness 
a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat, and you shall eat uh, each take an omer. An omer is about two liters, two gallons. According to the number of persons that each of you has to his tent. And the Lord and the people of Israel, they did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured with an omer, what whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered had uh, no lack. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he can eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. It's a good definition of sin, isn't it? Consequences. It bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with him. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came to Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a, is a, solemn, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink. There were no worms in it. Another miracle. It, it, it's, it was holy. It was set apart. It was special. And Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. Again, not smart, not listening to God, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called this bread, this flake-like thing, named manna. It's named manna because it was like cordon seed, white, and taste of it, like waffles made with honey. And uh, uh, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread uh, with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, now take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a, a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephem. Ephem. Those are hard words, aren't they? Like, what are these things? I had to look it up. You know, there's a little Bible context, two gallons, those type of things. So there's the story. We got a lot to study, but don't worry. It's going to be amazing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the bread from heaven. 
Help us to understand that. Help us to, Lord, understand this story and see how it applies to us today. And we just thank you, God, that we can read your word, that you are a God that communicates. So Holy Spirit, teach now. Teach even through me, someone who is weak, imperfect, your perfect word to your people. Everyone here, God, may your word be strong and mighty and touch the souls of your people to minister and equip and encourage tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so it's a long chapter, but I had to get the whole story before you. There's sort of two main ideas in this chapter. One is how God is testing the people once again to help them trust him and to grow in their faith. He does this through this thing called the Sabbath. Second idea is how God provided for their needs by raining bread from heaven called manna, the meat and manna. And in this chapter, the story is actually mentioned over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And so it would be wise for us to study to understand this. And so what I want to do is make this two different sermons. You're welcome. Okay? So we won't cover everything, but I want to focus on one thing this week, the next thing the other week. Tonight, we're going to focus on how God provided for their needs bread from heaven. And we're also going to look at Jesus' words of how this correlates in John chapter 6. Next week, we'll focus on the test given to the people, how God tested them with this bread of heaven through the Sabbath and learned that God wants us to learn how to rest well and to trust him in very practical ways. So what I'm going to do is give you summary, summation of the story to recap it as we study and sort of give you an outline as we walk through this text. The first sort of section is verses 1 through 12, and it gives us the context of the situation of what's going on and how provision is needed. Now, verse 1 tells us that they now leave Elam. We've heard of Elam before because in our study before, in verse chapter 15, verse 27, this was a place of abundance. If you remember the story, people had traveled three days. They complained and grumbled against God. They were in need of water, just like you and I would be in need of water. We have needs as people. They went to the Lord. Uh, they saw this water from Mara, but Mara means bitter, and the water was bitter. It wasn't sweet. It wasn't good to drink. However, God is a healer and able to provide for them. So in his mercy, he provides a supernatural healing, having Moses throw a tree in the water, which represented how God still heals us today through the cross of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel and how he provides in places of our need. And there is abundance in Christ. Elam was a place of abundance. It had 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. But again, God leads them now from Elam out of their comfort zone somewhere else. You're going to notice this pattern in the sanctifying test. It's a continual process, trusting God over and over and over again. He leads us out of our comfort zones and brings us to other places where we could trust him. So now they're moving on in the wilderness of sin. And this is actually a location going by Sinai, or Sinai and then going into the promised land as they were promised. God is growing their faith. He is leading his people, and the people, um, well, they're so mature because instead of complaining after three days, now it's the 15th of the month, and it took them 15 days to complain. Like they're just growing in their faith. Isn't that awesome? It's pretty crazy. Now, where we have sort of in the context, just so you could wrap your mind around the big story, the reason why dates are important in the Bible is because if you go to Exodus 12, 18, this is about a month later that they got free. The, all the miracles, the 10 plagues, the freeing of Egypt, the Red Sea, the parting. This is like a month later. They had seen God's hand move in 
over and over and over and over again. And this is like fresh on their mind. This is like last month. It happened. But you guys know last week something happened and you're already forgetting about it, aren't you? You already forget. You're like not even thinking about a hurricane. It's just happened. It's just boom, boom. It doesn't even. Yeah. Things happen in our lives and we have this thing like short-term memory. And this is actually what's happening right here in their lives. Because what grabbed their attention was the immediate. It wasn't the urgency. Uh, it, it was the urgency. Sometimes it grabs what's sort of all right in front of us, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's important. And so they start complaining. They start grumbling. They start to forget. And so in verse 2, they, they grumble against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. We studied an in-depth study about their calling, their leadership, how God called them, gave them miracles, established their calling, and now they're going against them. And verse 8 tells us they're not just grumbling against the Lord or against them, but they're grumbling against the Lord. Their complaining to leadership was just their frustration against God. God was the one that freed them and was leading them in the wilderness, and they literally saw a cloud of glory, and that God's talking through this cloud and leading the people, and yet they're complaining to Moses and Aaron, and they're grumbling. And they did this often. They did this under Pharaoh's leadership in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. They grumbled at the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, 11 through 12. And they grumbled even at Marah before God made that bitter water sweet in Exodus 15, 23 through 24. Now, David Guzik, he's another commentator with EnduringWord.com. It's a great commentary, and you can actually read it all for free. He says this about this section. It says, The people, they lost sight of God's future for them, and they also twisted the past to support their complaining. This is a pattern that happens when we start complaining and forgetting. They actually started to say that Egypt was better than being free. Now, this is crazy, but look at verse 3 with me. It says, We sat by the meat pots and ate bread to, f- to the fool, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Now listen, this was not true. It wasn't. We studied. They were slaves. The past wasn't all that great. But their sin and their lack of trust gave them a skew view of things. And that's what sin does, a lack of trust and unbelief. It, it, it gives us this bad filter of who God is and his plan for us. God had freed them. He was guiding them, and he's continued to prove who he was. They were not full with meat. They were not going to die. God was with him. And this is the danger of sin. It skews our eyes. It deceives us. It skews things and makes us not trust in the character of God. I would would define sin as the rebellion against God. And so they're rebelling and it's manifesting and coming out and they're complaining against this person, that person's situation and having all these different views of actually reality. But in Christ, we have our truth. We have reality. Sin leads to unbelief and rebellion against a holy and good God. And grumbling, not trusting God, is a serious sin. Now, before we get too judgmental about, oh, the Israelites, let's just realize we all struggle with this sin. Haven't you ever struggled not trusting God? Not believing in everything that he's done? You know, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, after talking about this event, specifically in the grumbling of the Israelites, he would say, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands Take heed, lest he fall. He would tell another church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, 
Do all things without grumbling and dis- or disputing. Why does he say this? Because we struggle as believers, as Christians, trusting God. And God wants to refine our faith, sanctify us, and he brings us on a journey of faith to trust him over and over and over again so that he would receive glory. You know, too often we forget the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, what he has done, and it causes us to complain, to grumble, and to doubt. I know about me, I often take my frustration out on the people I love the most. It's so sad. My wife, my kids, I'm angry or mad at a situation, I'm frustrated a lot, and and I'm able not to control it, and it bubbles out and causes me to explode on others. But that's not the plan of God for my life even grumbling in my mind. I'm to take my complaint, my anxiety, my burdens, my anger, and not sin in them, but take them to the Lord in prayer. Give him those burdens. And so are you. Because it could actually damage your relationship with other people. Did you know it was damaging their relationship with the leadership that God had placed over them? Leadership, the Bible says, is a gift to lead people to equip people, to encourage people. Moses had done great miracles before them, was leading them strongly, and now they're complaining, and that sin separated them and complained not only against God, but now it's separating them against people. This is why it's important. Paul would continue to say in Philippians 4, whatever things that are pure, true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise, why don't you think about those things? So don't lose sight of God's future for you. Trust in him. Don't get the past twisted by complaining or supporting your complaint by just grumbling and looking at the situation. It may be right in front of you, but have you put on the gospel lens of what God has said about the situation? This is going to help our relationships with God and with other people. But here's the great news of the gospel. We see it right here in this text. God still loves these grumblers, these complainers, these imperfect people. Because we see in verse 4, God says this, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. These are the people that are complaining, that are sinning, that are rebelling, and God didn't lose it. He loved them. He cared for them in their weakness. And rather than showing, I guess you would say, consequence, he showed mercy. Mercy to the broken, to sinful people. God shows mercy to us when we are weak, when we blow it, when we sin. He still wants to provide and practically love us right where we're at. And in his mercy, the Lord provided both manna and quail. In verse 12, it says, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel. So he saw their sin. And yet, say to these people, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. He gives hope in the midst of a horrible situation. God will give you hope as you hear from him and bring that situation to him. Why? Well, the text says, then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. And God still shows mercy to us today. He has sent Jesus to meet our greatest need. While we were yet sinners, Christ came. He died it was our sin that God promised. It was, it, was, it was our in our sin that God promised a Savior, Jesus, to save us from sin. Why? So that we could know that he is God, Savior, Lord. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 6. I want to highlight what Jesus has said about this sort of text and this idea of being bread from heaven. 
I'll read this verse as you sort of catch up and get there. And I want to read through some text of John 6 because I think it's important as we look at this bread from heaven, we look through a gospel lens. You know, Jesus said in John 6, 38, for I have come from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We have to understand that God loves the world in our brokenness, in our sin, in our pain so much that he sent his only son to seek and save the lost, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He desires to give mercy so that we would know him, that we would have eternal life. And in John chapter 6, Jesus starts breaking down this truth and this principle that he is the true bread from heaven. And we see this beautiful parable or parallel against this text and John 6. This was right after Jesus did a miracle of bread. Did you know that? You may have heard that story before, the feeding of the 5,000. There were 5,000 men. Jesus broke bread and gave it to them, plus women and children. They were all fed and satisfied. And this is what he talks about in the midst of that context, knowing this scripture in Exodus chapter 16. Jesus starts and says in verse 27, it's on the screen and in your Bibles, do not work for food. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For him, God has sent his seal. They were following Jesus at this moment in his ministry for temporary food. Jesus was healing people. He was giving provision, and they were following him, but they weren't disciples. They didn't know the truths of God and the good news. They weren't repenting. They just wanted their need met. And so... He told them, well, there's a greater need that you have. Oftentimes, this is what trials actually do. If you've ever gone through a situation and you've gone out of it, you realize how pity your complaining was, how sad it was. If you've gone in a wreck and God saved your life, you don't care about the car or the cost of the car, do you? It gives you perspective. And so Jesus now gives them perspective and saying, you're following me for bread. How about you work for something greater, a bread that you need that will satisfy you? In verse 28 and 29, he goes on and says, then they go on and say, "Then well, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, and this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He's clearly saying, God has sent me, and there's something you can do. Jesus is telling them that he is the true provision, the true bread. The need is eternal life, and he can satisfy That just as God sent manna from heaven to meet the people of Israel's needs, God also sent Jesus to meet the world's needs. But we receive this provision not by our works, but receiving Jesus by faith through grace. But the people fully, they didn't understand. And so they said this, well, what do you mean believe? What, what, What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe? What what, what work are you going to perform? It's funny, because then they bring up the miracle of manna. This is their hearts, knowing scripture, knowing what he's saying. And in verse 31, they say, our fathers, we'll talk about a miracle, something incredible that God did, meaning it's historic. It's true. It's just not a little fable in the Old Testament that you can just blow over. This is historic. Our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. That's exactly what we're studying. As is it written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, they wanted a sign. It's sort of funny. Jesus literally just gave them a huge miracle. 
He, that's why they're following him, because he's a miracle maker. He's healing people. He just gave them bread from heaven. Like He just gave them 5,000 loaves of bread from people to eat, women and children. It's incredible. But in his patience and his love, he turns the discussion, and he tries to connect the dots for them. This is where you want to take the conversation. This is our rabbi Jesus, the great teacher. This is what he says, verse 32 to 35. So Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, this great leader, this person you idolize, your fathers, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, then give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus said he could do more than what Moses did. He was a greater Moses. He was a greater leader. He surprised true bread, and it wasn't Moses that gave the bread. It was God, and God sent him to give them provision and mercy and love. Jesus says without him, we can't live forever. We don't have salvation. We won't be forgiven or satisfied for he is the bread of life that the Father has sent to be received not by works but by grace through faith just like this manna. And God, he promised this provision just as he promised the provision of manna. He promised the Savior, the Messiah to come and be this true bread of life. This is why Jesus did everything according to Scripture, to prove to people he was the Savior, to meet every need and be intimately known for God's glory. But just like the Israelites, we have to trust God's word and daily receive the manna, don't we? God provided the manna, but they had to go and receive it and get it. Just like God has provided the true manna, Jesus, for us, but we have to receive and his sacrifice, his love, his nutrition, his salvation for everything that we need. Now check this out. Exodus 16 goes on to teach us three important things about manna and also parallels to Jesus. This is very cool and important. I want to give credit to this commentary that I'm reading through, Christ-centered commentary. Uh, I quoted him, Tony Murda, in the beginning. Uh, he gave this outline. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they all start with S. Some people are going to love this. I don't usually do it, but I'm like, why not? Number one, the manna was supernatural, verses 13 through 15. Number two, it was sufficient, verse 16 through 30. Number three, it was sacred, verse 31 through 36. Don't worry, it's not going to take me an hour to go over these things, even though I could. Number one, it was supernatural. I just want you to think about the story. Think about the manna. Where did it come from? These people sleeping, doing nothing. All of a sudden they open up, boom, it's there. Manna in the morning, dew on the ground, flaky, beautiful, on the ground. People were mystified by this. Can you even imagine? They even said, what is it? That's literally what manna means. They knew it was supernatural. They knew it was a miracle. They named it. This is a miracle. I don't even know what it is. Verse 31 tells us, this is why they called it manna. It was like the seed, this white taste, and, and it was like wafers made of honey. Now here's some, remember I said a lot of scripture talks about this event. In Psalm 78, verse 25, the psalmist would say this would be the bread of the angels. It's true, bread of angels. You know it has to be good then. 
and it provided, it was provided by God. They just, they didn't produce it. It just, they had to receive it and gather it. And Moses said, it was bread of the Lord. This bread is of the Lord and he has given this to you. So manna, the manna is how God provided supernaturally. Now, what a beautiful picture we have in Jesus and the gospel. You know, most people, they need to eat to survive. Bread, the Bible would say. This is the way God designed it. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, if a man is not willing to work, then he should not eat. You actually, in your DNA, want to work, want to provide. It's, a, it's an appetite. It's something that happens, and it's a good thing. However, we live in a broken world, and sin is entered. Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says that now, man, because of that sin, God said there would be a curse. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. You're going to eat bread, nutrition, everything you need. Now it's by the sweat of your brow, by your own labor, by your own efforts. And this is why sin kills us. This is why the fall kills us. Because we produce and we go after. And the result of man's work is labor. It's hard and it's not very fruitful. However, the way the Israelites received the manna was not by their own efforts. They went to sleep. They rested. They trusted God. They trusted his word. They trusted his provision. It was against everything the world system is caught up in the sin nature. They could either believe God and receive it or not believe God and not go out. It's crazy because there's even instructions like, if you don't want to get it, don't get it. And people didn't get it. Or, hey, you know, if you're going to leave it over, it's going to rot. People are like, eh, I'll just leave it over and be lazy. It rotted. stank. They had to receive it. It was a supernatural thing, but they had to gather it and trust what God said about it to receive it. And this also is true with us with Jesus. We must trust the true bread of life from God and receive what Jesus is, who he is, and what he says. If we don't go after him and receive him, we don't have eternal life. We don't have the nutrition that we need. This is a supernatural act of God, and it is not by our own efforts. It is by the grace of God. It is a miracle that we can rest, trust God's word, and we are saved. For if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and rose from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you call upon his name, you shall be saved, but you have to receive him. To all who received, he gave the right to become children of God. And he does a supernatural work that you naturally have to have faith and trust and go to him, just as these Israelites had to go and receive the manna based off the word of God. Now in verse 16 through 30, we see this manna is not only supernatural, but it's sufficient. It's sufficient. You know, the manna that God provided was enough for everyone's personal needs. Did you notice that? Small families, large families. They were to gather an omer per person. Again, I said about two quarts, two liters. And so if you had five people in your family, you go grab five quarts, man, or five omers, man. If you have three people in your family, hey, just go grab three. You can take more, you can take less. There was a much, much for everyone. The text says, as much as you could eat. It was enough for them daily. Their daily need it provided. God provided manna for their daily need and everything that they needed. They didn't have to look or turn or go and now cultivate and work in the sweat of their brow. They could have rest and enjoy God's provision through this daily process of trusting him. So much so that on the sixth day, they were to take double and it wouldn't go bad. It wouldn't rot. God wanted to give them so much rest on the seventh day that they were able to do so. 
That same verse, Psalm 75, 20, uh, 25, or 78, 28, 78, 25. It's somewhere in the Bible. 78, 25. I wrote it down. It says the bread of heaven. It also says God sent them food in abundance. There was an abundant amount, and it was sufficient. And so too with Jesus. So too with Jesus. What God has provided in Jesus, our bread from heaven is enough. He is sufficient. We will never able, we will never have to look for another need for salvation, for there is no other name but but men should be saved, but Christ Jesus. As we eat his goodness, understand his gospel, and believe this message, we are sanctified. It is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for he lived a life that you and I could not live, and he bared the weight that you and I could not bear. The wrath of God was poured upon him on the cross, and he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. There is full atonement. You don't have to do anything to actually go out and gather any more needs. God has provided that. Jesus is sufficient. And that's why I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus is our sufficiency. We don't need to be perfect or strong in our weakness. We could humble ourselves, trust Jesus for the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and we are completely forgiven, filled with his spirit, sealed with the spirit, and ready to be received by the Father as a well-beloved son and daughter. For it was the Father who made Jesus sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, and God gives that grace freely as he gave the people manna freely there. It is sufficient for you and for me as we live and receive Jesus daily. Verses 13, or 31 through 35. Lastly, we see it was sacred. This manna was sacred. Now, theologically speaking, you could get into a whole like talk on this. Simple definition. You know what sacred means? Special. It was special. This manna was a special thing, so much so that the Lord told Moses, I want you to save some of it so people could remember how special it is. Eventually, this would be placed in the Ark of the Covenant along with two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Hebrews 9.4 tells us that. Uh, It seemed as a way of reminding the people about God's mighty salvation and his provision. He wanted them to be reminded that this was special, that it was supernatural, that it was sufficient. God wanted them to remember his provision for them through this manna and that it was a gift to them. It was sacred. And so too with Jesus. I hope you realize you know he's special. He is so special. Fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't do. And then he actually declared that he fulfilled everything the Father said. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. God the Father doesn't want us to forget the beauty, the bread that he provided for us, the beauty of his Son. He wants us to remember how special Jesus is and the grace that he has given us. For when he met with Moses and Elijah on the transfiguration, he said, listen, don't listen to the law. Don't listen to the prophets. I'm going to manifest my glory in my son. He's the exact imprint. Listen to him. Remember, Peter got all caught up in the glory and he wanted to worship all these different things. God said, no, no, this is my beloved son. Just look, he is special. He is sacred. He said at times he spoke this way and that way, but now the radiant of God's glory is found in Jesus. 
And God wants us to remember them. You remember right before the cross, Jesus instituted communion so that we would remember the sacred sacrifice that he would go to. We often read this before we take communion, but now let's read this in context. With these thoughts and principles in mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, it was the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Save the manna. Remember the manna. Don't forget. As we come together, let's not forget how special Jesus is. Let's continue to eat the bread of life. Let's continue to go to the sacrifice. Let's do this in remembrance of him. God wants us to remember this beautiful and sacred act of love that Jesus displayed on the cross and for him to be the name above all names, to be worshiped and to be exalted. And so Jesus said in John chapter 6, he goes on in verse 47 through 51. It's an amazing chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. For I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. Yeah, they did. And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What a beautiful work of the cross. So supernatural, so sufficient, so sacred. Jesus is all of these things. We can rejoice tonight that there is bread from heaven and his name is Jesus. And we can remember this as we take communion, as we remember the beautiful gift that God has done the work and all we have to do is receive. We have to just believe. And so let's do that right now. Jesus, we thank you so much for your beauty. We thank you so much for how you were obedient to the Father's will, being sent by him. I pray, Lord, as we remember these beautiful truths and partake in communion, we will remember we don't have to strive for this living bread. The work of the Father is to believe on him whom he sent. And you came according to the will of God, promised by God. And just as these Israelites were blessed to receive this manna, Lord, we are blessed to receive you, the true bread, so help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to understand that you are a God that provides and there is good news in the gospel. What beautiful provision that you have given us by not just giving us principles and letting us try harder, but giving us the person of Jesus and a gospel message that says we are never gonna be good enough. And we don't have to be because we can receive your grace through faith. I pray for those that don't know you, God, that they would put their faith in you tonight. I pray, Lord, for all of us that know you, Lord, that we would repent of our sin and turn to you, going from faith to faith, from glory to glory, looking to you, exalting you as we remember your blood shed, your body broken for us, God. We thank you for the true bread of life. Help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, even mouths to speak this beautiful gospel, this good news. Thinking about these things, we have no reason to complain. Let us have perspective. For even in our suffering and our trial, the word of God says that this is just but a glimmer. It's a vapor. And we actually get rewards as we seek you. Eternal life and thereafter, Lord. 
So we take communion now. We realize, God, that we are broken, that we are imperfect, that we need you. And Lord, may our hearts be full of joy, knowing that you will return one day to receive us. Fill us again with your spirit. We love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.